values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, interesting, one of the topics that was talked about all over cable news, but when I was in uh, in, in uh, New York City and I was talking with Allison Camerata, part of a panel, um, everybody was talking about what happened in Georgia where this girl who was the foreperson of the grand jury in Georgia said that indictments are coming and you could think of the names and she was trying to be very coy and she came across as very immature to me. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, there was a lawyer on the panel with us, a couple of lawyers that were on the panel, and one of the lawyers said what she's doing is not against the law, but she's going to get slapped down by the judge, that this is harmful. Here's what I think is going to happen with this. She says she wants to see something happen. She was trying to be coy. This was – she reminded me of a social media influencer. She looks like she's about 16 or 17 years old. Obviously, she's not. She's older than that. But her behavior was of somebody that was just making it about herself and what she wants. Her 15 minutes of fame in cable news. Notice um, she turned down an invitation from Fox News, but she made it very, very clear that she wants to see some things happen. Now, I will tell you this. Um, for all of the people out there that wants to see the former president uh, severely punished for whatever it's going to be, uh, election, uh, you know, some kind of um, suppression or some kind of intimidation, whatever it is, um, this is going to be used by the Trump camp as a way to say these charges were made by people that were already predisposed to hating my guts. That, you know, we all understand. Here's another thing. And I'm not making excuses. I've said, I said it very clearly on the show and I mean it sincerely now. If the former president or anybody else breaks the law, they should be held accountable. It should not matter. What your political rank or status is, if you've broken the law, you should be held accountable. I absolutely believe that. But what this does is it further to the people that are diehard supporters of former President Trump. And for clarity, I voted for him twice. I voted for him when he ran against Hillary Clinton. I voted for him when he ran against Joe Biden. I thought he was a better option both times. Hate me if you want to. I just believed he was a better choice. But I am also not someone that is a sycophant, and I don't follow people. I follow principles and ideas. And, and I have to say something else and to be clear. I fall very short of my own standards. So I try not to be a judge in that regard because I know myself and I know how fallible I am in things that I want to do the best I can. And I have to look at myself in the mirror often and realize I don't. But at the same time, when somebody falls short, when somebody says or does something that I disagree with, I have to be able to be forthright enough and say I disagree with that let the chips fall where they may you know I'm not being horrible about it it doesn't do me any the, the stuff we just talked about with Brnovich um, there were things that uh, the former president said that I thought were reprehensible I didn't like the things that he said but I thought he was a better option I'll stand by that belief but it looks as if this four person for uh, her name is Emily Kors um, it, it looks as if she had it out for the president that she wants to see him. So what this does is it takes away the impartiality. Now, most people will tell you in a situation uh, and, and a lawyer on the dais and we we're off the air, we're talking about this, that in a grand jury, it is only the prosecution presenting their evidence. 
So there is no defense. There is no rebuttal. There is no uh, cross-examination as in a trial. It is simply the prosecution saying this is the evidence we have, and we want you to say that there's enough evidence here to to, uh, press charges and go to trial. It's not a conviction. We just think we have enough evidence here that we need to go to trial on. And so that's what they brought to the grand jury. And most will tell you that if you're a good attorney, if you're a good prosecutor, you could get a ham sandwich indicted. And in this case, it seems as if you had a biased four person of the uh, of the grand jury. And I guarantee you that the Trump lawyers are going to be playing the audio and the video of her ridiculous responses and the ridiculous things that she had to say and the way she had to say them. Um, uh, I want you to hear just a little bit of it. Her name is Emily Kors. She's being asked, do you believe that perjury was committed? I'd say that um, it ended up included there because it was less pointed of a suggestion than some of the other things we may have written in the parts of the report the judge chose to keep confidential. Um, like I would less, say spe- that, less, less specific to a person. Right, hmm. right. Um, I would say that we thought it was important to keep it separate as well. Okay, I will say that I thought it was important to keep it separate as well, at least in my opinion, not anybody else's but mine, that there's a difference between the crimes we were called to investigate and crimes that were committed in the room. And she would answer questions, but not answer questions. And she had this smirk on her face and she just came across ridiculous. And again, this isn't because I'm defending the former president. I'm just saying if I were you, if I were someone in the position that believes that this is finally going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, that you're finally going to get a conviction of the former president on something, that he has been the Teflon Don for a long time and has been able to deflect any kind of uh, punishment or accountability for the wrongdoings you believe he's done. Because he hasn't been convicted of anything. They they tried to impeach him, but the Senate didn't vote to convict. Uh, all these things have happened. I think, A, he's a sympathetic figure to the people that are diehard supporters of him. I think that the more that this happens, it looks like more and more of a witch hunt. That's been the narrative from this camp from the very beginning, that they hate him politically, or I'm going to go in the first person from the former president. They hate me politically. Therefore, they'll do anything they can to try to destroy me, but it's not going to work. And now you've got the person that was in charge of the grand jury, the four person of the grand jury doing cable news interviews, giving information, but not really giving information and coy remarks. And you're going to see big names and don't be surprised and all this other stuff. And I'm telling you, if you are someone that believes that the former president needs to be convicted of crimes starting here in Georgia, your chances of that happening were dramatically diminished by what she did. Her 15 minutes of fame, her 15 minutes of getting on television, um, and so I want you to hear this. Do you think there needs to be charges made against people? Here's how she responded. I will be sad if nothing happens. Like that's, that's about my only request there is, is for something to happen. I don't necessarily know what it is. I'm not the legal expert. I'm not the judge. I'm not the lawyers. But... I, I will be frustrated if nothing happens. This was too much, too much information, too much of my time, too much of everyone's time, too much of their time, too much argument in, in court about getting people to appear before us. There was just too much for this to just be, oh, okay, we're good, bye. 
So it wasn't, again, if you're someone with a little bit more maturity and you're dumb enough to do an interview, what you say is we looked at all of the evidence and we were asked to decide whether or not there was enough evidence to seek charges. And I will tell you, I think that our recommendation has been that there are going to be some charges brought against people. She said, I wasted too much of my time. Everybody wasted their time. And because of all the time that we took, we should see something. I don't want nothing to happen because they took so much of my time. It's not about you. It's about the evidence in front of you. I just think she came across horribly. And she came across as biased. It's the one thing you can't have in a jury. And the, on the front side of it is bias. She came across like somebody that just can't wait to see him hang, figuratively speaking. And I just think it's damaging for anybody out there that is a proponent of President Trump, former President Trump, being convicted of a crime. I'm not saying he is not going to be charged or will be charged. I have no idea. And I'm not saying he wouldn't eventually be convicted if the evidence was there. But the battle just became more uphill and more difficult because this person couldn't stand not having her 15 minutes of fame. And she came across horribly. Go and watch the interview she did and tell me if you, even if you think President Trump is wrong. You have to look at what she did and say it's not helping your case at all. Coming up in a moment. Uh, Governor Hobbs has vetoed a tax cut bill, and I don't think it's going to be her last. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you have a pet that you are proud of and is think the most beautiful pet on the planet, we want to see him. Send us a photo of your pet and you could win $100 gift card. Head over to the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details on how to submit your paw pics. It's a cool little thing we're doing. Um, Governor Hobbs has vetoed uh, a bill. A bill that would eliminate city-imposed rental taxes was quickly jettisoned Thursday through a veto by Governor Katie Hobbs. It was the first tax cut legislation to meet the Democratic governor's veto stamp. Um, it's, and I wanna, I'm going to give you a quote um, uh, from Senator Steve Kaiser. We should not be targeting and harassing renters just because they're renting. It's a terrible tax policy, and it targets one group of people. Now, the governor had a different opinion on this. Um, and uh, it, it said that if we are going to promise relief to renters, it's important that we are able to ensure they actually receive it. Um, for working families faced with ever-increasing rental prices, this proposal just doesn't fit the bill. Um, so this is going to be uh, – what's in, what I find interesting about this is I believe that this is the governor setting a tone, and she – deserves to as the governor i'm not arguing with that that um although she says she is in favor of of you know making sure taxes remain low and that she sees the economy moving she believes in this case that if uh rental tax let's say the rent tax goes away that landlords are not going to deduct that from the rent that people are already paying. So let's – I don't know what the numbers are. I'm just going to throw the number out there. Let's say that every month you pay $75 of your rent, your landlord is paying in taxes. I don't know how much it is. Let's call it 75 bucks. They don't believe that your rent is now going to be reduced monthly by that amount, that in the end it will be the landlords that benefit from this and not the renters themselves. And so um, 
I still think in principle we shouldn't be taxing the people that are renting. They shouldn't have to pay the tax. It's passed through because the landlords ultimately have to pay it, so it gets passed on to the renter. It's factored into the cost of doing business, uh, just like food taxes. So I agree in principle that these taxes are targeting people where they live, and this is the necessities. There's no more. There's no bigger necessity than food and shelter. The governor believes that it can be done a different way. We'll see. We shall see if that's the case. And it, it's an interesting topic anyway because um, lowering taxes, I think, is the best way to keep money in the pockets of the people that, that uh, are in the economy. There's a great story out that says rent has gone down more in the past six months or a year here in the Valley than anywhere else in the country. Well, we were at the highest for a long time, the highest rate of inflation, so it's good to see that coming down. We still have a shortage of of uh, housing. We've got to address that issue. We have got to start figuring out a way to make this housing crunch go away. Um, we need to be able to help people get into home purchases. And what I mean by that is make it easier for people so they have the financial capabilities of buying a home. Those people will move out of rentals and into homes uh, they own, which means there's more available rental property out there. So the, it's more competitive for the renter and not just the landlords. And then the cost of those properties goes down. We've seen a lot more big, beautiful apartment homes that have been opening up around the valley. We are starting to see this valley grow up a little bit and not out, which for a long time I've talked about. We still are a very wide city, not a tall city. Um, and that is not a negative. It's just the way we are, but we are seeing by necessity in in the Arcadia area where I used to live, if you drive around, you are seeing, if you drive up 32nd Street from Thomas North all the way up to Lincoln, you're going to pass three or probably three or four projects um, that have either just been completed or are in the, in the stages of being completed for beautiful apartment homes. 44th Street and Oak, there's a huge um, uh, home uh, development that's gone in, and they've also, uh, on the, it's on the west side of the 44th Street at Oak. On the east side of 44th and Oak, a huge apartment complex has just gone in. There's more across the valley that we're seeing going in, and so that's going to help alleviate some of this. But this tax thing, and the indicator for for me with all of this, I think the one that should be looked at the most is that the governor has a different direction that she wants to focus on. She has a different set of priorities than the former governor. And the legislature is going to have to adapt, and she is going to have to adapt her priorities to what the legislature will tolerate. If we're going to pick sides and say one is good and one is bad, there's a difference between one is good and one is bad than saying one is right and one is wrong. Big difference. If this battle starts to get personal and it's about good versus evil as opposed to right versus wrong, we are in for a long session. We are in for a very long budget session because both sides are very – obstinate in their beliefs and what direction they believe. Who wins out? There is the power of the veto in the governor's office, but the legislature, they've got the power of the purse string in the House. Who is going to win out? And in the end, hopefully, hopefully, the focus is going to be on people like you and I, the voters, as opposed to their personal agendas. And we'll see. We're going to see how this works. The governor has said she wants to work with the Republicans, and the Republicans have said they want to work with the governor. And let's hope that this all works out in that direction. 
Coming up in a moment, I had an interesting interview with Clint Hickman, the County Board of Supervisors chairman last hour. I'm going to let you hear some key pieces of it, give you some more comments on this cover-up where a report was not released that would have said, or it does say, that there was no findings of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. Well, how would that have changed our elections? We'll talk about that next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. And uh, again, I want to thank Clint Hickman for coming in. Clint Hickman is the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors, and he is now. He wasn't. He has been before. Then they and then it was uh, Bill Gates. Now Hickman is back there again. I, they rotate in being the chairperson or the chairman of the of the board, and he's the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors. And uh, they've been taking a lot of heat. The 2020 election, the accusation that Maricopa County, including members of the County Board of Supervisors, were part of a cover up that the election in 2020 was stolen. That they knew it, that this audit proved it, and that what ended up happening with that audit, just from my personal you know, knowledge of it and what I saw of it, um, it asked more questions. It didn't come to any conclusions. <clears throat> they said, um, we found this, and we found this, and we found this, and we found this, and we someone needs to find out what all this means. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the head of the Cyber Ninjas had to say, that this needs to be further investigated. They were hired by the state of Arizona to do that investigation, and it came to no conclusions. So they gave a list of accusations to the attorney general's office and said, you need to look into all of these things. So the attorney general's office said, we will do that. We will look into all of those things. There was an interim report that was given. And in that interim report came to no conclusions. It really walked the line very, very carefully. Um, as a matter of fact, I asked the uh, the attorney general at the time, Mark Burnovich, and you're going to hear the question and answer. This is back in April of last year. In this report, did you find any evidence of widespread fraud? What the report basically did was provide an initial update to Senator Fan regarding our initial review of the um, 2020 election. Now, as you know, Mike, and I've said this from the beginning, and a lot of folks on the left and right have been critical, is that look, I'm limited what we can say while we have investigations ongoing. So I'm not going to reach a con- legal conclusion. He's not going to reach a legal conclusion because the investigation was ongoing. There wasn't a conclusion to the investigation, and they have a report, and it was never released to the public. And it was never released to the public, and what could have happened in the wake of that is it would have quelled a lot of people's fears. Clint Hickman was one of these people that was affected greatly by this. Um, he was um, targeted by the county board of super, at, at the county board of supervisors. He was targeted by citizens who believed the election was stolen. And if you go back down the laundry list, um, and I'm just going to be – I want to be fair, but I want to be honest. Um, Governor Ducey. Governor Ducey certified the election. Now, Governor Ducey was flown to the White House or flew to the White House to have a one-on-one with President Trump a year or so before that. And uh, President Trump sat in the Oval Office – I believe it was in the Oval Office, but it was in the White House – with a one-on-one with Governor Ducey for the entire world to see in a nationally televised segment in which he praised our governor for how he handled COVID and what a great job he was doing as governor and over and over again. 
There is also a video that I have somewhere, and I wish I had it to play, where the former president was in the West Valley, where Clint Hickman is a representative, as that's his district in the Board of Supervisors out in the far West Valley, where the president of the United States at the time, Donald Trump, from the podium, called out Clint Hickman by name and thanked him for all of the work he was doing. Well, the governor of the state of Arizona did his duty and certified the election, so he was all of a sudden uh, persona non grata, and he was no longer a Republican. He was a rhino, and he was a terrible governor, and out he was supposed to go. Clint Hickman, the same thing. He bore the brunt of the criticism from many, many people because he dared say, we've given over all the information. We don't feel comfortable giving the cyber ninjas our codes to our internet searches because, A, number one, there's nothing to see, but B, um, that that opens up the door to a lot of personal information. So it was agreed upon by the state of Arizona in the Senate um, with uh, Senator Karen Fan when she was the Senate president and other leaders in the Senate, along with the County Board of Supervisors. Everyone endorsed a man named John Shattig, former Congressman John Shattig, who I want to and I'm going to give you my biases here, who I think was with all due respect, to everybody that's in Congress and people that I know that are in Congress. He was my congressman and did a stellar job. This was a guy that was destined for leadership in the United States Congress. He was smart. He is an honest guy, and he is so articulate on issues. And they hired him. He agreed to do this, which I'm sure he was sorry for later, to look into this, to come out with a report of a couple of different things. Were the election, was the election equipment ever connected to the Internet? Number one. The other question was asked, did anybody try to access through their passwords or otherwise access the election equipment? And number three, did anybody successfully hack into the election equipment? And in all three cases, the finding of his search was that nothing happened to the equipment. That wasn't good enough. So after the audit, after this happened, then it went to the, um, on to uh, the attorney general's office, Mark Burnovich, who, again, in all fairness, I will tell you, this is heartbreaking to me. I have had a very good relationship casually, but a good relationship with Mark Vernovich. I knew him before he was attorney general. Um, he was always gracious with his time with me as attorney general. He was on this show talking about this issue in the interim report. Why this report was not released by his office before the election, you can only guess what that is. Was it, his, was it politically expedient for him to leave it alone? Did he realize that his political career in the Republican Party would be over because party leadership there was one issue, one issue in the 2022 election. That was election integrity. If you didn't believe and shout from the rooftops that the election was stolen, you weren't winning a Republican primary. Well, I guess I shouldn't say it that way. If you didn't say that the election was stolen in the cases of the uh, the superintendent of public schools and in the treasurer's race, they left the issue alone. But the people that fell for the bait, the people that talked about it, when asked, they had to choose a side. If you were asked and you didn't choose the side that the election was stolen, your career was over. It just, that was the number one. I, I was moderating debates. I, I was at debates. I was involved in this process in the Republican Party. It was the sole issue. So I asked Clint Hickman, what were you upset about? We were trying to find out, too. You know, we were we were coming up on running another election. 
And if there were some sort of findings, we wanted to know those. We, w- we want to get better. We want to get better at this job. So I, I just think it's almost like a, the separation of are you political? Are you a political servant or are you a public servant? And he's not wrong. And this is where I think that caught between a rock and a hard place, as I think uh, Mark Bernovich was, he felt like that if he released this report and it was read by the media and it was read by people who had no um, no real dog in this fight. If you if you look at the report and the report says we can't find any evidence of widespread fraud and that's a summation, by the way. And all the accusations made by the cyber ninjas or or need for more investigation, if you didn't find any evidence of widespread fraud, if you weren't – if you were not showing off the smoking gun – that your political career in the Republican primary and he was running for the United States Senate was over. And instead of just releasing the report and letting the chips fall where they may, there were a lot of people whose political careers hanging in the balance were fighting tooth and nail in primaries up and down the ticket. And uh, it was tough. And that was just the political side of things, not the personal side with the death threats and the other things that happened. So there was a lot of fallout by this report not being out. This could have ended much sooner. This could have been the ripping the Band-Aid off and moving forward, and it didn't happen, and I think it should have. Uh, Arizona still has a severe teacher shortage, so why would it not be unanimous to give teachers a $10,000 a year raise? We'll talk about that in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you always spending time with us. Uh, Arizona still has a severe teacher shortage. Representative Matt Gress was in uh, was talking. I believe it was with uh, was it with Matt Salmon yesterday when he was in for me. And a big thank you to Matt for that. He was talking to Matt Gress, who is a representative, Republican representative in the state legislature. There is a, propo- a proposal of a fund that would fund teacher raises. A direct it would go directly into the classroom. It would be a ten thousand dollar raise for teachers in Arizona that would go right into the teachers' pockets, and it was opposed but by some Democrats. Let's listen to what he has to say about the salary proposal. The Pay Teachers First plan that sets up a special Pay Teachers First fund, and uh, it, it directs $10,000 into uh, school districts um, for each teacher in order to, to bump up their salaries. And this plan would put 100%, 100% of those dollars into the classroom. So, you know, this is, there's a couple of things that are happening here with this. I want you to hear about him talking about who voted against it. I described it as bizarro world because we had all of the Republicans supporting a $10,000 teacher pay raise. And make no mistake, we wanted more accountability and transparency so that uh, Arizona taxpayers could see where the dollars are going and uh, know what kids are learning. Um, but but it, the, the core of the bill was to raise teacher pay $10,000. And nearly every Democrat voted against the bill. We're going to get to why why I believe that happened in just a moment, but here he goes on. It was truly a, a bizarre experience to see that, and 
the Democrats uh, twisted themselves into knots trying to find ways to oppose uh, the bill. And get this, the state's teachers union, the AEA, was heavily lobbying the Democrats on the panel against a $10,000 teacher pay raise. Let me very quickly give you a summation of all of this. Back in 2018, the organization known as Red for Ed made huge strides with 77,000 people marching on the state capitol for raises for teachers that were already promised by a Republican governor and a Republican-led legislature. They had promised days before the protest that they were going to get them a 20% raise over three years. They said, we don't believe you. We're marching anyway. And they did march. And then this is a fact. This is a fact. Um, Joe Thomas, who at the time was the head of the of, of well, he said he wasn't the head of Red Fred, but one of the AEA, AEU, um, they were lobbying within the they were five senators that they targeted, five Republican senators that they targeted. And they were they were not able to do that. So they went to their friends in the in the House side of things, trying to get amendments put onto this budget, specifically the part that gave raises to teachers to try to get it killed. Why would they do that? Because they wanted to get a tax increase measure on the ballot. So they were going to forego a guaranteed raise for teachers to fulfill their own public interest. They failed in that regard. When the budget passed and the governor signed it, that part of it, Joe Thomas ran out to the crowd at the Capitol and said, congratulations, you did this. Not the governor, not the legislature. It's because you're here that this happened and never told them that he was lobbying against it. So here we are again, the teachers organization, the AEA, that is supposed to be in favor of teachers and raises and more money. Why would they fight against this raise? Either they don't want accountability or or could it be that, you know, if you are only, if you are a charity that is trying to cure a disease, when the disease is cured, you're no longer necessary. If teachers get a $10,000 raise without any input or anything from the AEA, why would teachers pay dues to an organization that does nothing for them? Why would a teacher's organization fight against this? Now, one of the things they're saying is, and I want you to catch this and see if you agree, you have to be in the classroom more than 50% of the time, meaning that bus drivers aren't going to get this because when they talk about educators, anybody that works in the school system is considered an educator. Doesn't mean they're not valuable, doesn't mean they're not important, but they're not all educators. Janitors aren't, the lunch lady isn't, the bus drivers aren't, and they weren't going to get this $10,000 raise. So part of this was everybody should get a raise. Here we are with a massive teacher shortage in the state of Arizona. The Democrats have run over and over and over and over again on spending money on um, – on education in Arizona, the Republicans once again come up with a plan that's going to put $10,000 in the pocket of teachers, and it's the Democrats and the AEA, the Arizona Educators United, whatever, AEA, I'm sorry, Association, um, said, nope, we're against it. And they can't explain why. I, they're invited on this show anytime. I promise you, I would love to talk. To any of the leadership from AEA or AEU, Red for Ed, they are always welcome on this show. I welcome the debate and the conversation. And they're not. They're not talking about it. They're opposing it. Why? Why? We're talking about a teacher shortage and a $10,000 raise directly to teachers guaranteed in this, in this fund that would continue to pay teachers. Is it because it was brought up by Republicans? That's partisan politics. 
Coming up just after 11 o'clock, what I learned from the border summit I was at in Tucson. We'll give you a chance to hear about it next.